Aloha, and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick and Simon. Hey Nick, how are you doing? A massive aloha to you. Yeah, massive aloha to you too today because uh, it was very much an Hawaiian episode. I know I always giggled with you about uh, aloha back in 2015, but it is an amazing concept, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, the whole uh, aloha vibe is fantastic, but you've got um, you've got Robert on today, haven't you? Yeah, Robert Stelic from Blue Planet Sup, uh, all the way over in Honolulu. And uh, he's been in business for 27 years. This guy is fascinating. He's been around. He's got um, about 20,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel, and he puts out some really great content. And back in 20, 2014, when I was just getting started and paddling, uh, all of his videos helped me a lot. So it was it was really good to chat to him. Mm, so and uh, he's he's got some um, great views and some great things that uh, you chatted term about on on this recording but um i mean one of the the things one of the topics that keep coming up regardless and you know we get lots of contacts about it there's lots of contacts about this subject on facebook groups it's uh, new paddlers people who are just about to take the sport up and uh, wondering what criteria they would set or what criteria more experienced pad- paddlers would set for selecting their first stand-up paddleboard. So I'm just interested, Nick, on your view on that. Um, if you were a brand new paddler today, let's say you knew nothing about the sport whatsoever and you were giving yourself advice, what sort of route would you go down? Well, yeah, as we discuss in this podcast with Robert Stelic, it's a very complex question and there's a lot of different variables to it. And it's a very difficult, I think everyone who starts paddling, and there's a lot of people starting paddling now, so we've got tons of value for you guys in this podcast. Um, but I think a lot of us, when we're starting, we just want a quick question. You don't want like this huge involved answer. And um, so my answer to that question is just, if you don't know what you're doing and what kind of genre you're going to be paddling in or what kind of category you're paddling in, you know, like down, downwinding or surfing or whatever, go and buy yourself um, either an inflatable or a normal paddleboard, 10 foot 6, 32 or 30 inches wide, something nice and stable, just so you can get going. And um, and you'll never, ever, you'll never, ever have to sell that because you can always use it for your kids or for your mates or whatever. So it's always a good stable board to have around to introduce to your friends. So I think go for a 10, 6, 30, 32 inch wide board, inflatable or hardboard, whatever fits your boat or whatever blows your hair back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it is a concern to start off with. I mean, certainly when I bought my first board, I wasn't sure whether or not I'd stick with the sport to start with. And uh, so I went for convenience all the way. So I went for inflatable because obviously it's easier to store and it's also easier to transport. And, um, you know, there is the slight pain of pumping it up, but I, I choose to uh, treat that as a extra bit of warm up. Uh, and because it was so accessible, because it was so flexible and I could paddle in places that, you know, it would have been a pain to carry hardboards to. It worked really well for me. So certainly that would be um, a really good initial criteria for a beginner. Just make sure you use it. You know, if you're spending like 300 
um, plus pounds on something, you really want to make sure you get the use out of it. So that should certainly be the criteria. And knowing people who have been bitten by the bug and, um, you know, I know a lot of those people, they do add to their paddle boards as they um, add to their skills. So um, I'm really looking forward um, to hearing this episode in its entirety. Yeah, I was really excited to chat to Robert because, as I said before, there's so much value in this podcast. And also some specific links that we mention are in the show notes, and they are very, very detailed um, about the theory of buying a board and the weight versus volume and all that kind of stuff. So dig deep into this episode, you'll get a lot out of it. So without further ado, here's Robert Stillick all the way from Hawaii. Robert, thanks so much for coming on to the SUP FM podcast. Uh, good morning in Hawaii. How's it going over there? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Nick. I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, we're yeah, at 7, 7 a.m. here in Hawaii. Looks like it's going to be a nice day. Excellent. So are you right on the water right now? Um, no, I'm, well, I'm across the street from the water. My, my neighbor has a dock that we, I can use to go paddle if, I, if I'm up to it. I had a look on Google Maps to see where you guys were, and it looks like um, is Ala Moana Beach quite close in Waikiki? Yes, our shop is uh, is just two blocks away from Ala Moana Beach Park, so very close. Wow, it sounds like a spectacular location. Yeah, we're I mean definitely lucky to live in Hawaii, no doubt. Right, so, how did you originally arrive in Hawaii? Um, so, well, it's kind of a long story, but um, you know, I was I was born in the U.S., but my parents are German, and I grew up in Germany. And uh, I learned to windsurf when I was young, and that was kind of my, I got kind of obsessive about it and lo- loved to windsurf. Every vacation, we would go somewhere to win- go windsurfing. And then my dream was to go to Maui. I you know, always saw the pictures and the magazines and so on. So that was my dream. And after I finished school, I worked and saved some money, and then I ended up on Maui for a year. And that's where I got a job, at, you know, in a, working at a surf shop, Hunt Hawaii surf shop in the late 80s in Paia and kind of living the dream. And then I went back to Germany to start university and only lasted one semester. And then basically after that, I just decided I'm, I'm going to stay in Hawaii. <laughs> you know, I moved, moved back here, I went to college and uh, two years on Maui. And then I, I went to Oahu to finish my degree in business and then i started blue planet basically wow so what was the thinking when um when you're in, in university um did you always have it in mind to to start a surf shop and is that why you went to university or college uh, well you know yeah it, for me it was not i wasn't really sure what i wanted to do but i kind of knew that i wanted to do something that you know that i'm passionate about that i love to do so you know working in a surf shop was definitely something i enjoyed but it's hard to make a living as a, as a uh somebody ringing up sales at on the register so uh, you know i figured with business studying business i can decide what i want to do and uh, later on uh, yeah it became my surf business okay so if we fast forward to 2015 uh, your shop won a host of business awards how did you get to that level of excellence over the years so i mean just keeping at it you know we started our business first started as a as a clothing company and making surfwear and selling it at like swap meets and marketplaces like that and then uh doing wholesale and then we became a distributor for another brand boardworks for many years and then when that ended we started making our own boards so and then kind of, you know, as, as that grew, we had distributors in Australia. We were exporting a lot of boards internationally. And uh, and then that's how we became the 
uh, Hawaii ex- um, the Hawaii Exporter of the Year in 2015, I think. And then also, you know, we won some awards for being the best Santa paddle shop on Oahu and, and things like that. So, yeah, um, I think it, it's not like 2015 was a special year or something like that. It was just like that's the year we got two awards, which was kind of cool. But we're still doing the same thing. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah, because you've been open for what twenty five years or something. Yeah, I've been in business for twenty seven years now since two thousand uh, since nineteen ninety three. So a long time, and uh, there's there's been quite a bit of comp- competition over the years. I mean, like one of the competitors of ours was C four Waterman, who opened a shop right across the street from us, and uh, but they basically shut down their shop, and they're now based in Colorado, so they're kind of out of the business. And then there was. A lot of brands that kind of came and went. Uh, Paddle Surf Hawaii sold out Surf. There was um, Surf Tech was in our area. There was Tropical Blends. So, but lately, maybe the last few years, stand up paddling's kind of been in a decline. And for us, two sales have been dropping a little bit. So, basically all our comp- competitors closed down and we're one of the last uh last few brands left in on oahu that still sell standard paddle boards or mostly sell standard paddle boards so there's a lot less competition but also a smaller market for us so yeah i mean that must be that must be a privileged position right now it must be a whole lot easier with with all your competition gone because i also read that nash has closed down their their shop and is it was that near you so nash is in kailua and um, yeah, I'm definitely sad to see them go. I mean, that they're so iconic, and you know, they're like the original windsurfing shop on in Kailua, and it's kind of sad to to see that them close down. I guess they just can't afford the rent anymore. And you know, I I, I do know how tough it is. Like we had a pretty tough year last year. Um, right now, our sales are are really good with everybody kind of having more time and and wanting to get out and and stand up paddling being a great sport that you can do safely uh, during the pandemic. So it's uh, we went from kind of uh, bust back to boom again. It seems like. So actually, for the Nash, the for the Nash store to close right now is kind of bad timing. You know, they they announced right at the beginning of the shutdown that they're closing, and then so they couldn't really have a good sale. I think they're just selling out of their inventory right now. But it seems like right now is a good time actually for the business again, and it might just be a temporary thing. But it's um, business has been very strong for us the last few few weeks. So talking about Nash and naturally working in Honolulu, you must get to rub shoulders with many of the surfing and and sup legends. Uh, do you have any stories about like Robbie Nash and Dave Kalama? Led Hamilton, those guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, those guys I knew more from back from when I lived on Maui. Um, you know, I competed one time with Robbie Nash. That was pretty cool. And then, uh, you know, Dave Kalama, I would see it uh, regularly. And uh, but, you know, I get to hang out with guys like Travis Grant and then, uh, you know, I see Kailani pretty often and just from racing Connor Baxter and those guys. Um, so, yeah. They're just, you know, when when you get to know them, it's just you realize they're just normal people like like everyone else. So, and uh, but yeah, it's always fun to be able to to paddle with people like that that are just kind of um, on a different level, you know. Absolutely, yeah, it must be exciting. And uh, I'm just thinking, I'm curious about the growth of stand-up paddle. Were there any crazy run-ins between surfers and stand-up paddlers in Hawaii over the years? Because I know a lot of stand-up paddlers and I'm paddling out in the breaks and, and uh, like the other day I was paddling out here in the south of Portugal and I was just paddling down to a break and I paddled around a peak and uh, all these surfers are just looking at me as I paddled slowly past and 
none of them said hello. I was like, hello. And uh, none of them said hello. So do you, have you ever had any, seen any tension between surfers and stand-up paddlers? Um, sure. I mean, Oahu is definitely, you know, there's a lot of surf breaks here. So there's usually places you can go where it's not crowded. And I would say overall, if, if you know where to go and how to behave properly, then you shouldn't have any issues here. Um, overall, most people, you know, are happy to share and uh, but you can't like there's definitely some places where you don't go as a stand up paddler and you don't take off um, at the peak at like Almana Bowls or something like that. It's just not it's just not accepted uh, unless you're, you know, unless you are a surfer that goes there all the time and you know everybody in the lineup. That's like the only place you uh, the only way you could go to a crowded place where if you knew everybody there. But um, so there they are. You know, and there are at every spot. There's like the the locals that think they own the place. Of course, you know the the kind of they feel like they're the protectors, and and they get to tell people to get out of the water if they don't like them. So, but that said, there's also a lot of spots here that are mellow and um and where stand up paddlers are accepted and everybody gets along and everyone has a smile on their face. So those are the, kind of the the spots I try to go to. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, because obviously uh, pipeline must be out. I guess. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, Pipeline is one of those places where they, they do sometimes have competitions there for stand-up paddling. And then there's, you know, certain guys that, that go there enough that they uh, know know everyone in the lineup and they can go there. But yeah, it's generally not a, definitely not a stand-up paddle spot where you can just go out and paddle out and, and stand-up surf. So what's your idea of a perfect day out on the water and where would it be? Oh, you know, lately I've, I've gotten into downwind or just foiling, wing foiling with a wing. And it's I'm just having so much fun right now. I mean, I'm still kind of getting better at it. And, I'm, and I mean, that's kind of part of the fun that every time you go out, you get be it better and, and find find new things learn new things so right now that my perfect day would be just to wing foil on a nice day with a bunch of friends and uh like last or a little bit over, over a week ago we went out on a downwinder just going uh you know six miles downwind out in the ocean with like 15 other guys i'm um, just going back and forth and finding some waves to ride and uh that that would be probably my perfect day it's kind of having fun together with friends but still doing your own thing and uh yeah that's that's probably my idea of a perfect day right now. That sounds amazing. Um, I just when you said wing foiling, um, I'm surprised how that took off, and it and it's great to see it taking off so well. But I, saw, I, heard, I was listening to Dave Kalama on a podcast the other day, and he was talking about how he's using these big paddles on his hands instead of a wing, and he's just using them to paddle on a foil to get up. Have you ever, have you seen him out and about? Yeah. <laughs> You know, I've seen, I mean, Dave Kalama's on Maui, so I, I don't see always what he does, but I, on Instagram, I've seen him um, doing that, like using a kind of a, a prone longboard surfboard and these huge hand paddles and just pad, you know, paddling into downwind waves on Maui, which I, I just kind of blew my mind seeing that because, I mean, I've, you know, even just with a paddle standing up, doing the downwind paddling, uh, foiling, it's, it's so hard to get going fast enough to get up on the foil and take so much energy that for him to do it kind of knee paddling and then jumping up on his feet and foiling it's it, yeah, I was very impressed by that uh, he's an amazing waterman and I, I don't know I've never really seen any video of him doing the wing foiling which I'm surprised by because Dave Kalama is such a you know such a good windsurfer and surfer and foiler that I'm surprised he hasn't taken up wing foiling yet probably just hasn't tried it because pretty sure he, he would be a really good wing foiler and he would probably get hooked on it he probably just is avoiding trying it so he doesn't get hooked on it 
<laughs> Excellent. So let's get into learning to SAP um, and boards in particular, because right now it feels like there's a real surge in, in new stand-up paddlers like we just talked about earlier. And I reckon people have felt the isolation associated with lockdown and are raring to get out into the ocean and into natural places. So what would your uh, first words of advice be to a new paddler? Oh, I mean, I think the most important piece of advice is always wear a leash and don't go out in offshore wind or, you know, don't go out in conditions that you can't handle and use the right equipment. You know, those are just kind of a few basics for safety, you know, because, I mean, it can it can be dangerous. People always think it's it, it looks so easy and uh, they don't realize that there are dangers involved, too. And then, of course, we have like videos on YouTube, like uh how to stand a paddle in five minutes. Uh, I would say watch that one or the top 10 mistakes that beginners make. Um, those those have been uh, very getting very popular, uh, getting record views in the last few weeks. For, uh, I'm, when I look at the statistics, I'm just amazed at how it looks like four times the views we got last year at this time of the year. So it's um, it seems like a lot of there's a lot of new interest in, in the sport, which is great, you know. It's like a renaissance of stand-up paddling, I feel like. Wow. that's uh, So it's even more important for, I think, people to make um, a good choice when they're starting out for a board. Obviously, there's a large and, and quite confusing array of quality um, and prices available in boards. So what kind of board do you reckon a guy, uh, a beginner should start with? Oh, that's, I mean, it's a complicated question. And obviously, it depends on the person's weight and size and uh, balance ability and then the conditions they're using it in and so on i mean we have a whole uh page on our on our website and videos that kind of go into detail on what kind of board to choose for what kind of condition and uh and i see a lot of beginners get going with the inflatable boards which i you know we used to make them we stopped making them just being in hawaii we've seen so many of them fail over time from the heat you know like they get they just kind of uh, degenerate more quickly in, in the heat uh, or, or they start falling apart the, the, the glue starts to deteriorate and uh, they just don't hold up that well so I, I don't feel comfortable selling inflatables anymore in Hawaii and um, but I and and it, just the performance wise too you get a much better performance out of a hardboard I find so that's what we usually recommend uh, staying away from the inflatables even though they are very convenient and for travel and so on I think it may, they, they have some some uses but overall I would definitely recommend a hardboard and then get something that's you know comfortable and stable enough for you to, to learn on but not so big that you grow out of it quickly basically and you know at our shop we have a lot of programs to help people find the right board for their needs like we, we let people rent boards and then apply the rental fee towards the purchase. We also have uh, clinics where we let people try the boards, um, and then and then they can make a better choice. Uh, you know, the, it's always the best to try a board before you buy one. Sure, and I guess when you're starting out, you know, ten six is always always a good place to start. But the origin of the ten foot six size goes back to surfing, doesn't it? So why do you think that's the most popular size for an all round board? Um, I mean, ten six is just a good good size for a beginner. It's um, it's long enough that you can easily glide into waves and has like nice um, good tracking. Good, it's a good cruising cruising size, but it's still you know uh, still surfable and, and it has it's a good all round size, I guess. Which I'm sometimes surprised that everybody wants an all like here, especially here in Hawaii. Everybody, even if they're just going to be cruising in flat water, they still want a kind of an all round board that they can also surf on if they ever um, want to do that. So we don't sell as many like 
touring boards or flat water boards or race racing boards. I mean, we do, there's a market for race boards as well, but um, most people go for the all round kind of shape. Say I like a 10, six and it depends on the size of the person. I mean, a lot of women will buy like a nine, four, nine, six, that kind of size, like lighter weight paddlers. And then we have some bigger, you know, the bigger folks, we have like a 11 by 35 Ohana board, we call it. That, that one's been very popular lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so once beginners obviously find out that there are many different styles of paddling, uh, then it's another question of, of going through the whole process of, again, of choosing another board for each genre. So for one, for, like you mentioned, for touring, one for downwinding, one for surfing, one for whitewater, and maybe even sup yoga or foiling. They're all completely different boards. So then you've got a whole other massive decision to make. Can you sort of shed some light on that on, on that kind of decision? Oh, geez, yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many factors. And, and one of the reasons that we have over 400 videos on YouTube is because there's so many questions to be answered and so so much detail to go go into, you know. So uh, I try to put out as much information as possible because I just don't have time to go over it with each person individually over the phone or whatever. And we get so many people calling, uh, asking like a million questions. And I actually don't even take those kind of calls anymore because it, it's so, so time consuming. But what, what we recently started is that you can actually book, you can book a consultation on, on our website and then, and then apply that fee towards the purchase if you end up buying a board. But we, we, I find that there's so many people trying to call and then just getting all this information and then they ended up buying it somewhere else. And it's just frustrating that, you know, I invested like over an hour sometimes in, in talking to people and then they don't even buy something from us, you know? Mm-hmm. So is that why you started your YouTube channel in the first place? I mean, originally I just kind of registered the YouTube channel and we put posted a vi- one video in 2007, I think. And then it just kind of grew from there. But yeah, I found it's a great way. Like whenever I have a, a whenever i see a question that pops up more often or we have a new product that I, I need to explain and so on i just find it easiest just to make a video about it and then my staff also can watch it and, and find out about more about it and you know obviously they know more about the products than the average person but um it's just a good way to share their information without having to repeat myself over and over and over yeah it's brilliant it's the power of technology here it's great i mean i've seen a lot of your videos back when i was learning to to sap as well and they were really really very helpful so thanks for that <laughs> oh yeah no thank you i mean I, I always love hearing that when when people like it's funny even like even in australia or new zealand or wherever i travel like people recognize me from the videos and they're like oh thanks for teaching me how to stand up paddle i love to hear that it's so <laughs> great oh that's excellent um so you've got obviously a lot of detail on your website about body weight versus volume and can you just briefly comment on that like if you're for example 100 kilograms or, or if you want to go into imperial i can try and translate to metric as we go well, no, I mean the um, you know all our volume is in liters, so so the metric system actually works way better because one liter of volume floats one kilogram of weight, you know, so it's it's easy to to um, use kilograms uh, if you're using liters. But basically, what we recommend, you know, for a beginner is you want the board to be like about halfway in the wa- underwater when you're standing on it, so. That means if you're 100 kilograms, look for a board around 200 liters. You know, it doesn't have to be exactly, but in that range. So double the volume of your body weight. 
And then as you get better, you can go closer and closer to like one to one or, or, you know, usually you would want at least a little bit extra, like maybe a few hundred kilograms, maybe 115 liters. Um, is kind of what I would recommend for a more advanced paddler. And, that, and that's probably about the same for both stand-up surfboards and foil boards. And then obviously race boards, you, you can use much higher volume. What about width when it comes to, if, for example, you're looking at a surfing board. So um, you've, uh, you're 100 kilograms, you've got a 160 liter board and you want to go down to get some real, real good surfing. And you go down to 120 liters. Um, what are What is the dimensions? Do they, do they play a lot with the with the performance so if you've got a really wide board and it's got a lot of volume or a very thin board and it's got a lot of volume does that make quite a difference in the width sure i mean the the width is probably the most important number to look at for stability you know side to side stability and and some people can just handle much narrower boards because they have like cat-like agility and balance so that's you know most people need something a little bit wider including myself i would say like i can't i don't really like to surf on boards that are much below like 28 or something like that for stand-up surfing boards um or you know i mean and wider if it's windy or choppy it depends on the conditions too of course but um so the width is is really important and it just depends on what you're comfortable on and sometimes people don't realize that even just so like a going from like 30 one inches to 29 inches it's only two inches but it's a huge jump in terms of um, tippiness of the board and so on and you know you do get some advantages of going narrower it's obviously faster and and, um, better rail to rail transitions when you're surfing Um, but that said i mean i think you can definitely make a wider board surf well too you just have to kind of move your feet a little bit between between the rails as you go from one rail to the other rail so so having a little bit wider board i think for the average user is definitely something you should you should probably um, consider not going too narrow and and then just doing small small steps you know like you can't go from a 10.6 to a uh a 90 you know like and you can't go from a 36 inch wide board to a 26 inch wide board you know it's like people just sometimes too too big of a jump and then they they get frustrated i've seen that happen so many times with mates and friends and they're saying oh yeah i'm gonna get a really radical 8.2 or 8.6 or something like that and then we go into the lineup and they're just falling off and struggling all the time so like work your way down slowly like one inch at a time i would say in the width and six inches at a time in the length probably so it's not not much more than that that's great advice um obviously like we're talking about there's a lot of technical learning content online um and you know your youtube videos as we talked about are very valuable um people a lot of people think that they can just go walk into um, costco or decathlon or some shop and just buy a cheap Chinese board gets straight out in the water after a few tube videos and, and they'll be fine. Um, what do you think of an approach like that? To get into the sport, I mean, anything will work, you know. I, and I think a lot of times it can be a waste of money to buy something that's not the right board for you and then you end up having to buy something else, you know. So it depends. Um, I've, I, I see a lot of people buying like yeah, they, like Costco has a nine six wave storm. That's for most people just not the right board, you know. So people buy it and then it sits around and they don't really use it. Or and it's then it's like why not spend spend a little bit more and get something that you actually can use and enjoy, you know. So but um, you know there is some value to this cheap entry level boards that gets people into the sport. So and then when they're ready to buy a good board, then they come to to, to a stand up paddle shop and get some advice and get get a good board so what, what i get upset about is if they if they come to our shop or call us and and get uh, all this a ton of advice and then they 
buy it online because they can save a few dollars or something like that. And it's just kind of it's frustrating um, that they kind of kind of abuse our customer service to to do that. You know, <laughs> I find that frustrating sometimes. So I mean, I don't mind sharing the information, but just don't don't, don't because it costs us money if if somebody calls us and talks to spends an hour of our time and then doesn't buy anything. It's it's it, it costs us money. And then they take their money somewhere else. And it's just not fair to the shops, you know, to do that. Yeah, totally. I mean, you're giving a, a professional consultation. And if you were going to the world of business, you know, they charge big bucks for that. So it's fair to charge for that kind of advice, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think that's what we have to start doing. So talking about leashes, I mean, I've been a SUP instructor since 2014, being accredited by two separate bodies. And I feel very strongly about always wearing your leash. Can can you tell our listeners why it's so important in most conditions? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's super important. And I know sometimes people think, Think it's not cool to wear a leash or something but um when you fall off especially for beginners you know they a lot of times they, they kind of lose their balance and fall off the back of the board and the board just shoots out and if there's even just a little bit of wind it's actually enough to to not be able to catch your board by swimming after it. and you're not especially if you're not a strong swimmer and then also wearing you know sometimes people wear a life jacket but not a leash so if there's a little bit of wind and you're wearing a life jacket you can't swim as fast so it can be hard to catch it with the board and then the worst thing is if you have a life jacket tied to your board and you're not using a leash even though that might be legal in some places you know because it's like follows the the regulations that's like the most dangerous thing because it gives you a false sense of security and then the 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 life jacket tied to the board actually at, at adds like some wind um it's kind of like a sail for the wind so that your board gets blown away even faster with the life jacket tied to it so that's like the worst thing and when i see people do that and like i just scratch my head yeah so, yeah <laughs> leashes head. <laughs> always 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 wear a leash and make sure it's a good leash and it's a it, it's attached properly you know that, those are important things and in, in hawaii we're kind of lucky because the coast guard doesn't require us to wear a um, pdf um, personal flotation device pfd sorry um, so, um, as long as we're wearing a leash, they consider the board, the flotation device, and it's a surf craft so that, that you don't have to wear a life jacket. So, uh, and I, I feel like it's actually, I actually prefer not wearing a life jacket because I can swim better without it. Um, obviously for people that are not strong swimmers, it might be better to wear a life jacket, but it's in Hawaii, it's not required. And I get a lot of comments on our videos. Why are you wearing a life jacket? so that's why i'm not wearing one <laughs> but i think that's an interesting point as well when you when people don't regard boards as a life-saving device or a flotation device i mean it's floating and you're attached to it so it surely makes sense that you could use it as as a as a flotation device so you know a lot of boards are just printed with that saying this board is not regarded as a life -saving. yeah so i mean and and it's not just that it's not just a flotation device but it's also your rescue device that you can use to get back to land you know obviously it's a lot harder to swim back than to paddle back to land. So, um, you know, losing your board is a much worse thing than not having a life jacket, I think. Because, you know, even with a life jacket on, it keeps you afloat, but it doesn't help you get back to land. Yeah, good point. Yeah. And, and when we talk about getting back to land, generally that's occurring in an offshore wind. And I think a lot of people who start... Um, stand up paddle they see these beautiful pictures and think oh let's go out there and they don't understand anything about the weather conditions which are obviously vitally important how do you suggest beginners pick up local knowledge of the weather yes yes i mean the weather conditions it's it's so important to make sure you um you keep track of the weather conditions and and 
it always looks tempting because yeah, on offshore wind, it's nice and calm on the inside. A lot of times, like there's not a lot of wind on the inside. It gets windier the further out you get, the more wind there is. And then, but getting back can be very challenging and people don't realize how hard it is until they actually turn around and try to paddle back where they came from. So yeah, that's a big, uh, big thing that we see a lot. And there's been people in Waikiki that started paddling out and they got too far out and then they lost their paddle. And then there was one guy that spent overnight on his board and oh, it was like halfway to Tahiti already. Not really, but um, but he was like way outside and luckily a fisherman picked him up, you know. So um, that can be very dangerous. Yeah, it can be very dangerous. Yeah, we've got an interesting setup down here in the south coast of Portugal where we've got quite high cliffs and the wind blows offshore. It's the pre- prevailing wind blows offshore and it creates this amazing calm um, water just below the cliffs. And then the wind line hits, you know, kind of like a couple of hundred meters further out. And then people obviously just drift out into the wind line once they're in there, then they're just too tired to get back. And, and it's, yeah, it's very, it's very difficult. So yeah, something to be aware of at all times. But let's talk a little bit about the SUP industry just for, because you've been in it a long time. Um, how many people do you think are stand-up paddling around the world? Do you reckon there are as many people surfing as there are stand-up paddling? Because they're about, supposedly, there's about 23 million people surfing these days so you know i i don't really have a, any good numbers on that uh, i've i've looked before and um i know there's some some research that's been done and so on but i i in terms of exact numbers i i don't even know and i couldn't even i couldn't even guess on that um i just kind of ca- kind of follow the trends and and try to keep track of uh you know what's going up and what's going down and in terms of how many people stand up paddle versus surf um i'm not really sure but it seems to me like more people like stand up paddling definitely has a much broader appeal because pretty much anybody can do it you can do it on any waterway you don't need waves you know you can it, it just has a much broader appeal so if if stand up paddling isn't is not bigger than surfing yet it, it definitely will be in my opinion mm. Yeah, I think Laird Hamilton said it some time ago. He said it's definitely going to be bigger than surfing. And um, I was speaking to Tristan Boxford from the APP World Tour, and he was saying he reckons that it's it's bigger than it's bigger than surfing right now. So it's interesting and exciting. But because um, obviously with with this podcast, we're trying to help build the sport, and we're trying to um, you know at a at a at a small level that we can. Um, but how do you think everyone listening can build the sport in their uh, area well i mean one thing you can do is just bring, get your friends into it and then if you see new people at the beach or people that need a little bit of help just you know offer to help some people sometimes people don't want to help <laughs> you want you to help them like sometimes i ask i always ask people before i tell them anything i ask them would you like some help and sometimes they're just like no i'm fine I'm like, okay <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny when they're holding their paddle backwards and they're like they they're or they're paddling with a fin forward or something like that you know it's like oh my god but it's always good to ask first if they want that if they want you to help them because sometimes people just give people advice and they un, unsolicited advice and and people take it the wrong way so always ask first but I mean, and just take out your friends, you know, like the more people you can expose to the sport, the better have a, have, you know, always have a beginner board. You can let people try and get people on the water. And most people that try it a few times will, will keep doing it. I think it's, it's just too much fun not to do it. Yeah. It's so addictive. I think that's, I think that's lovely advice. I think it's great because, you know, everyone can help in a, in, a, in a small way and it really, obviously if everyone does it, then it helps a lot. So you've created an incredible brand already. I mean, online, you've, you've created an amazing brand. So what's what's next for Blue 
Planet Surf? Uh, well, I mean, I've originally, you know, we I kind of wanted to keep growing the business and be a big business, but like lately, I found sometimes it's it, it's not just about being bigger, but also it's just about, about being profitable and having a sustainable business and a sustainable brand. So to me, it's not just about the, being the biggest brand or whatever. I just happy to um, do things that are that are successful and and where we can make some, make a little bit of money and and survive, you know. So it's uh, a lot of things we're working on now is just going more consumer, direct to consumer, uh, not relying necessarily so much on on distributors. Although we have some good distributors, they kind of like distributors kind of come and go, and sometimes they support you, and then sometimes they sell other stuff. And so it's it's hard to just rely on distributors. So I want to be kind of more self reliant, being able to sell directly to consumers. We've been also selling more. Um, through Amazon, like and and also getting into other products like our Balance Surfer, we we have a Balance board that we're selling through Amazon now and getting into international marketplaces as well. So that we're just selling directly to consumers. And um, I just like developing new products and kind of have you know we have three patents now, so I'm working on patented products that we can like exclusively sell. Um, to just developing new ideas and new concepts. Um, I enjoy doing that and uh, yeah and I just see a resurgence of uh, new paddlers getting into the sport so making good entry-level uh, paddle boards that are easy to use and and durable though like our tough tech boards have been they've been very successful so focusing more on those kind of things and also of course on the high performance side you know the uh, pushing the envelope on the foil board development race race boards uh, stand-up surfboards um, those are things that i'm kind of passionate about but there it's definitely a much smaller market and much more niche market um, although foiling has become a bigger market Market than I ever expected, so it's kind of I, I was kind of surprised how much of our sales are foiling now. But um, you know, getting new new people into the sport is, is also always my my idea, and not excluding every, anybody. You know, sometimes if you're too much focused on performance, then you you lose that focus on helping people just get into it and getting started, you know, which is important as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important. And it's, it's great to see that so many new people are getting online right now or well, not online, but I mean, getting out on the water right now. Um, so that's exciting times. Yeah. yeah. So um, Robert, where can we follow you online? Where'd, um, where's the best place to get access to all the incredible content that you guys put out? Well, I mean, you know, we, of course we're on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I would say the best way to follow us is just to subscribe to our YouTube channel and they have like the notifications too. So you can click on that. But basically every Saturday we put out a new video on YouTube and, and I think uh, just watching the YouTube videos uh, that's where I, that, that's where I put um, a lot of energy is into those videos. So that's a good way to follow us. And then you know yeah, our Facebook page and and then our, our website. We post new news um, posts on our website as well. So all those all those channels I would say are a good way to to keep track of what we're up to. Great stuff. Well, thanks so much for chatting to us. It's really exciting to get a glimpse of life in Hawaii and all your years of experience have just come through. So thanks for that. Yeah. And then I guess uh, I have to start listening to your podcast, uh, SEP FM show. It sounds, uh, it sounds really cool. I've been, yeah, you uh, have to. You know, starting to listen more to podcasts while, while, I'm, dri- while I'm driving, you know. And uh, it's great because, you know, you know, you can listen to it while you're driving or doing something else and, and get up to date. So I love 
of the podcast. Yeah, I'm loving them as well. And uh, we interviewed Kyle Lenny some time back, and because um, we started this originally in 2015, and um, this is our second series that we that we researched or, or rebirthed in the middle of the COVID 19 pandemic. And so we interviewed Kyle Lenny way back, and it wasn't a very good quality interview. So if you see him again, just give him a nudge and tell him we'd like to interview him again. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, Kyle Lenny is such an amazing, amazing guy. He went from being a little kid to being like a superstar who does everything. Yeah, definitely amazing. That so, is amazing. Yeah, for sure. Great. Thanks so much, Robert. Thank you, Nick. And if you're just starting out in stand-up paddle, tell me that that was not packed with value. I just think it was great to unpack Robert's brain and all his 27 years of experience and uh, put that all out into a 45-minute podcast for you guys. So uh, I hope you found it helpful. If you did, just please share it with your mates, you know, and share it with people who are learning to paddle and uh, help them to enjoy themselves in a safe and responsible manner out on the water. I mean, it's a super fun activity. really is amazing. And um, like we mentioned before, there were a couple of links which are very, very useful in the show notes. So go and check out www.supfm.show. And if you want the direct link, because um, you might be listening a little bit later, it's www.supfm.show forward slash episode forward slash Robert. So thanks a lot and have a fantastic week. Enjoy yourself out on the water and hopefully we'll be paddling with you one day. Thank you for listening to sup fm the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are if you like what you've heard please leave us a review on itunes until then we'll see you on the water